What, money-wise? Yeah, I'm a weird bug because I don't really care about money. I care more about time. So I only work about five hours a week. And my average hourly rate is $1,500 an hour, so you can do the math. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. In today's episode, you will learn how to increase profit with, without selling more hours and the behind the scenes of business that I've been dying to know about in details for the last decade, maybe five years at least. I guess today is the secret twin brother of the billionaire from Marvel, Tony Stark. <laughs> he has more podcasts than I have pair of socks, true story. He's a former uh, software developer on a mission to get rid of Harley Billing. And he runs a very cool business that I'm dying in to know more about. So I'm going to use that episode to be selfish and to learn everything about it. He's the author of Hourly Bidding is Nuts as well, writes a daily newsletter. He's the inspiration behind why I started mine. Jonathan Stark, welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you back in podcast land. Thanks. I missed it. I'm very excited to be here. It's one of those things where you need to let go of it, to miss it, to understand how much you like it and how much... Others enjoy it as well. I started doing, the reason why I stopped is at first I started do, doing solo episodes where I compiled former episodes and into kind of this mix of a specific topic from voices from different people. And I lasted like 17 episodes and I fucking hated it, right? So uh -huh. I just didn't like the narration, me talking to the mic, looking at myself. It's hard. The solo shows are hard. Yeah, it's really tough. Like I saw an advice today on Twitter saying, you know, if you're new to podcasting, start with solo shows. And I think that's the stupidest advice. And then I had my daughter and I stopped. So it's been almost two years that I hadn't recorded any new kind of interview episode like that. So yeah, now it's, it's good to be back, man. And I feel I needed the break, but now I feel like I'm in a different... Yeah, it's getting better. Anyway, it's not about me, it's about right. you. So I think people know you. I think you've been around for a while. I'm not saying you're old, but you're older than me at least. You've been around for a while and you've been very consistent about the mission you've been fighting against, like the thing you've been fighting against. I'm not saying this is not interesting and for sure we can talk about it. But what interests me the most right now is the type, like the business you're running and the behind the scenes and how you've achieved it, right? So why don't we start with... Jonathan Stark, the secret twin brother of the billionaire, right? And <laughs> yeah, talk about the before all of this, before the business that you have that has many different components, who were you? Sure. If we just go back to the previous life, not two or three lives ago, I graduated with a music degree. So I have a, a whole, you know, I was a musician for a decade. I was a coder for a decade. I was a consultant for a decade. And now I'm into my coaching decade. And so the previous one was consultant and that I had been a coder and the iPhone came out and I was immediately instantaneously like, okay, that's all I'm doing from now on. That just completely captured my imagination. And as soon as it was available, I got one. I took it apart, digitally speaking, and I was a web developer at the time. So I wanted to find out how to make websites amazing on this thing because they stunk. If you might not remember, but like the New York Times was the website in the demo that they did and it stunk. It was like, terrible. It's like, oh, you can tap on a paragraph. I wasn't born when the first iPhone was released, actually. <laughs> Is that right? Anyway, I just was obsessed with that immediately. It was a eureka moment and no, it was brand new. So nobody knew more about it than me, really, other than unless you worked at Apple. So 
I just completely learned everything I could about mobile Safari, which was the browser at the time. And there was no Android. It was just that. So I really focused in on that. And I wrote a book for O'Reilly. I was talking to a senior editor at O'Reilly at a social event. And he was like, oh, I had written books before. And he was like, oh, you got another book in you? And I was like, actually, I do. I've been thinking about doing a book on the iPhone and how to build apps for it using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And he was like, oh, well, let me run it up the flagpole and see what happens. And two days later, I had a, a book deal with O'Reilly. And that book was very, it was timed beautifully. It was very successful. It was translated into five or seven languages. I don't know. It was translated, sold all over the world. And I launched a consulting business essentially off of the back of that book. So I became speaking every month. I was flying around to speak somewhere. And I was getting a lot of all of the cutting edge leadership type people, CTOs and founders and even Fortune 500 companies were starting to finally get the message like, wow, this iPhone thing is going to be really big. And this was like two years after it came out, but they were, the enterprises were finally like, oh, everywhere I look, somebody's on an iPhone. Maybe we should make our website look good on one of these things. Yeah. So then I just writing, speaking and consulting and it was great. So I wasn't coding for money anymore. I was basically giving people advice. Yeah, it's being paid to think instead of doing it is much better, huh? Yeah, I just uh, spent all my time researching. So as of today, this interview is taking place in 2023. How much did you generate in the last 12 months with your business entirely? What, money-wise? Revenue right, back. Yeah, I'm a weird bug because I don't really care about money. I care more about time. So I only work about five hours a week. And my average hourly rate is $1,500 an hour. So you can do the math. But, no, you know, I can't. <laughs> so times that's seven seven thousand five hundred times four. That's yeah, around I mean, thirty like, grand times twelve, three hundred and sixty grand. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I think last year I did that. Maybe it was four hundred. But hold on. So you said you only work five hours a week. Yeah. But what does work mean? Because is that work what we're doing now? No. Okay. I, I wouldn't count this work. This All is right. hardly work. This is no, like anything that is a one-on-one -on -one client engagement. Ah, okay. Got it now. Okay. 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 Yeah. But overall, because let's explain your business model a bit, at least from what I can gather. Mm -hmm. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. You have group coaching community that anyone can join for $99 mm -hmm. a month at this stage, yep. right? Where you talk, you coach people every week. No, every other week every other they'll week. do like a office hours kind office of thing, hour. but it's right. mostly Slack. Yeah. Then you have courses on like you do those temporary, not temporary, but look, explain. Why don't you explain? Because I fucking, okay, yeah. you know, the challenge is like, <laughs> for example, I took your course about how to send daily emails basically, right? right. So you do those mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I, those are workshops and they're, they're sort of cohort based online workshops that you can do. You do in Slack, they drip out over time and I map them on the structure of the marketing seminar that I took with Seth Godin. I'm sure you, your Seth interview is the best one I've ever heard, by the way. Thank you. And I was like, I love this structure of these workshops. There's like, there's a community, but it's not this binge watch thing where you can just go through everything like it's an infotainment and then never do anything about it. So it, it like drips out over time. And so I emailed him. I'm like, is it okay if I copy this structure for my own content. And he's like, yeah, go for it. I want people to copy it. So I created a, a really big course called the pricing seminar. That's 12 weeks long. And that's a real marathon. And each week has a theme. So I broke that up into a series of individual workshops in case people just wanted to learn how to podcast or how to do a daily mailing list or how to write proposals better, how to create systems in their business. So I've got four or five of these 
workshops that launch one a month all year round. Let's like tally everything together here. Yep. So how much revenue is the business generating through all of those products and services? I mean, you can give me a ballpark. You don't have to tell me the exact number. Yeah, it's 400 grand working three or four or five hours a week. Great. I like, calculated last year, if I worked 40 hours a week, I would have done like 2.5 million. But how many people do you have on your group coaching, for example, at the minute, roughly? I think there's 600. It's a little bit over 600, but a lot of them are people who are in private coaching. They get in for free, so they're not all paid right now. But yeah, there's like 600. Okay. So that's a pretty impressive business for someone who's barely doing anything, right? It's, are you happy? I had to start scheduling more podcasts like this because I had so little to do that I was forgetting to do it. Like the little bit in 2022. I love that flex, great flex. I was just forgetting to do it. Like I had a little bit of stuff to do and I just forget. It's like, oh my God, I forgot to do my daily email today because I was just, I'm like staring into my backyard and I would just walk the dogs or push my daughter on the swing or just like, oh, I guess I'll clean the garage. I had nothing to do. So I had to amp it up a little bit. So I've been podcasting like crazy on other people's shows so that I can just stay in the mix and not get rusty. So yeah, that might sound very, like that might sound crazy. It sounds crazy to me. It sounds crazy to pretty much everyone. And I'm pretty sure that what they are thinking right now is how the fuck did he do this? And I want to do the same. Let's be clear. Because when I talk to people in our audience, solo businesses and independent consultants, freelancers, whatever, they all say roughly what you said, like the ultimate dream is freedom, like freedom of choice, freedom of being able to say whatever the fuck, freedom of choosing what to work on, freedom of who I want to work with. Freedom to spend time with my family. Like, it's always that, as the call seems. As you said before, you're like a cat. You had like many lives. And obviously your experience throughout has kind of, you know, you learn from that and whatever. So you didn't arrive a few years ago just without any knowledge. But why don't we try to highlight the steps that allowed you to be where you are today? I went from the consulting to coaching step. So like the previous life to this current one was... I already had a taste of advisory work from consulting because I was just doing advisory retainers where people would pay me five figures a month to pick up the phone when they called essentially. And they were large companies that had like Nokia staples, like big companies, Time Magazine. I did a bunch of different ones. And they would have these big projects that they knew they didn't know enough about it to really undertake it on their own. So they would be like, who wrote the book on this? We want to hire that person. So then I already had this taste of having a disconnect between my time and my money. It was still like a solid, God, I'd say 20, 30 hours a week, and there was a fair amount of travel. So it was definitely not, it's not like now, I swear, I feel like I am retired, It's which isn't great. It's anyway, so what happened? So what happened was when I went solo as a coder, I was fairly well known in the community. I was a FileMaker developer, and I was fairly well known in that space because I would speak at the conferences and I wrote for the magazine, the actual paper magazine back then. So when I went solo, I left this really good firm to hang out my own shingle. And people were like, what are you, why are you doing that? You're like, you've got the cherry job in the industry pretty much. And I was like, we bill by the hour. And I just had this epiphany moment. That's a mistake. And I didn't know how to transform our firm. I had no idea what the solution was. I just knew that there was a problem. And so I went solo to do that. And it went really well. And so a lot of my old colleagues and friends from that space, I think they were probably imagining I was going to come crawling back after a year, but I actually didn't need to. It was fabulous. So 
they st I started getting invited to speak to those groups of people to be like, how did you do that? And that started happening a long time ago. That might have been 2008 or 2009. I went solo in 2006. But I kept thinking about it. People kept asking me about it. I blogged about it for a while. And that ended up being, that effort ended up being what turned into the book, Hourly Billing is Nuts. That's where that seed started. And then in, it was 2016, I released that book on my website. I didn't put it on Amazon or anything. And that really, that was the beginning of, okay, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to switch to teaching this stuff all the time. It took a few years to make the switch, but that was clear to me that I was going to. So you're already a sought after expert. And it seems to me like there is a trend is that you know how to spot trends pretty early. So you knew, I think so, like, let's be honest. When I say compared to the rest, I don't mean the small sphere that we're a part of. I'm talking about the general public, you're definitely early in most things, right? So you spotted the cohort-based course before it became very sexy. Obviously, Seth Godin was like one of the very first to do this. The hourly billing thing is definitely not, wasn't as popular as an ideology. I mean, against hourly billing, wasn't as popular as an ideology back then. The iPhone is yet another one. It's easy to think in retrospect, oh yeah, smart move, obviously, duh. But like so many people doubted it as well, right? Oh, tons of people, but it's not really a survivorship bias. There were other trends that I spotted that didn't go anywhere. Like what? VR. I was pretty hot on VR for oh, a yeah? while. Crypto's in the dumper right now. I was interested in crypto, but I never really went down the rabbit hole too far. Never did. Not really. As just, it was interesting from a technology standpoint. It does create some very interesting possibilities, but I never saw a use case for it. Right. I could exactly. not see it. I'm like, what is the use case? This is a hammer looking for a nail. Exactly. What else? Like, did you invest any, like a large amount of money and or time into something that you thought was going to be big and you massively failed at? No, I'm not that type. I invest in my own businesses. I don't invest in other businesses. I goofed around with Bitcoin and stuff, but nothing serious. Okay. So sought after experts, and then you had this epiphany about like, what if I charge, but not based on hours, right? So I know you've talked about that a million times before, but let's just for the story. What was the epiphany about? Was it more about the fact that it felt almost unethical to charge by hour because it means like you're incentivized to, to work more hours? No, I didn't get that at first. The thing that hit me was I was managing a team of 10 employees and I was the VP. So I knew all their salaries and all the compensation and I had to deal with hours constantly. And it just hit me one day because I could see reports that you wouldn't see as an employee, as a sort of regular employee. And I was like, we're not making any money on our best guy because it was a blended hourly rate. Everything was billed out at $150 an hour and he had a really high salary. And it was like, what are we doing? Our worst guy, our most junior developer was practically an intern. We were making 100% on top of his salary because he was slow. And I was like, this isn't fair. It's not fair to the developers. It's not fair to the clients. And it's creating a bad situation for us. And I just, I was just like, wait a minute, no. I've got to be thinking about this wrong. And it took me a long time to really be like, oh, wow, trading time for money is idiotic. So there is something that is quite interesting about your story because, and please correct me if I'm wrong about my assumption, but it sounds like a lot of businesses, a lot of successful creators, business owners, solo business owners like yourself, what tends to happen is they end up teaching something about their business to others, like it basically leads them to like from developer or technical person to figuring out something about their business 
to seeing that others are interested to basically just focusing on that. Am I dreaming, hallucinating or? No, that's true. So I do see that a lot. You see a course about how to create online courses and stuff like that. But for me, from musician to coder was a huge identity shift. But then coder to consultant wasn't really. It was like little pivots, a lot of little pivots, like from FileMaker to PHP and then from PHP more broadly to the web, then to the mobile web and JavaScript. These little pivots where I go farther and farther down a specific rabbit hole from a technical standpoint. But my clients really never changed. My clients were all, they got bigger and bigger over time, which value pricing kind of incentivizes you to get bigger and bigger clients because that's how you scale your business as a soloist. But it wasn't a massive shift. It was, I call them half pivots where I have one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world. So it was pretty smooth and it didn't really change anything about my marketing or my business. I would just write books and speak at conferences and that was plenty. And then when I pivoted to, you could almost, it feels like going from B to B to B to C, even though I'm still selling to business people, it, they're like soloists. So it's more like a B to C purchase. So it's smaller purchases, it's way smaller dollar amounts. So you need to have a much bigger audience to support your lifestyle. So it takes time to build that up, which was, that was what I was doing during my transition years. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those transition years, because I can bet that most people listening are interested in doing this or are really like in those transition period as well. Let's talk as well as the big robotic elephant in the room. At the time we're recording this, AI is absolutely like on everyone's tongue. It's massive. It's not like crypto. There is no millions, billions of use cases there. I'm using it to do so many things already. It's fucking nuts. I can guarantee that it's definitely creating some identity crisis for a lot of folks. Let's try mm-hmm. to give them advice right now. When it comes to those transition years, and um, maybe let's try to put them into perspective of today's world, because you're old, right? Remember? <laughs> um, what do you advise or what did you do in those steps? How did you manage to move from B2B to B2C, basically? Okay, we'll have to tie this to AI after, but because it's so new and that it was not even a dream, it was no concept of it back then. But this shifting from, I think it was 2019 or 2020, when I essentially had two jobs at the same time where my consulting business was ramping down. I had one long-term client that was still had me on retainer and we were slowly ramping down. As I was ramping up my daily writing, that was the big thing that I did to ramp up an audience. So as I was building that up, I was selling high ticket one-to-one coaching programs to people in that audience. So it was a similar feel to my old business where I would have a small number of very high paying clients. And I still had a small number of very high paying clients in the coaching world, but I knew that was over time, I was going to want to stop offering one-to-one things because my mission is to rid the world of hourly billing and I can't do it one person at a time. It's not gonna, I won't live long enough for that. I started up to get the cash flow. I needed to continue working on building up the mailing list I had, I think at the time I started doing coaching programs, it was something like 7,500 bucks for six months or something like that. And it's now it's 25,000 for four months. So I would just raise it over time to decrease the demand for that while I was able to build up the middle of the business, which was the workshop. So those are anywhere between 250 to 800 bucks for a workshop. And as the audience got bigger, I could just get more sales there. So it was, it turned from a small number of clients over time into a big pool of customers. 
So that takes time though. Like how much time are we talking about just roughly so people can visualize? I think my income. So there was a point, I remember I have a graph for it. I didn't know we were going to talk about this or I would have pulled it up, but there was a point and I was graphing it where my income from the old business was atrophying and the income from the new business was coming up and there was an exact month that they crossed. And then I was like, sweet, this is going to work. How long did it take? I, from 2016 is when I mentally made the switch that I was going to do this and I didn't do it. I think my last coaching client, I think we parted ways at the end of 2019. Yeah. So it was a three year period. Okay. So you said daily emails. Am I right in assuming that you were influenced by Seth Godin again then? Oh yeah. Okay. I'm a huge Seth fan. You read all of his books, followed him everywhere online. So when did you start the daily list? Do you remember? Yeah, it was July 2016. Okay. So in July 2016, I was checking just there while you were speaking. I think you said starting in 2002? Something like that. Fucking hell. Yeah. So he started, yeah, for those who don't know, he's writing, he's been publishing something every single day for the last fucking 20 years, which in the internet world, in the creator world or whatever, that's just, that's 1000 years, right? It's yeah, just, it's incredibly, it's, it's insane. It's nuts. right. I was on his list, so I knew it was doable and I knew, and I do really short emails like he does too. Sometimes there'll be a 500 word, but my average, I think my average is almost two, 250 to 300 words. So people can read it and like. 60 seconds tops. It's like, you might as well just read it instead of archive it. Yeah. It's just, you might as well. You might as well just fucking read it. Yeah. Okay. So what made you say, I need, let me just start sending daily emails. Cause you said, if I'm understanding correctly, that probably was the turning point for you and your marketing in terms of the big audience, right? Yeah. I had a crappy mailing list before that really sporadic. I hated it. It was always like torture the night before I was like, ah, I'm supposed to write something for tomorrow. What am I going to even write about? I didn't have any ideas in that moment when it's like time to go on stage, essentially, and you didn't learn your lines. You're just like, ah, it's terrible. I hated it. But at the same time, I was on Seth's list and I was like, okay, this is doable. And I knew how it affected me. And I liked the way it affected me. And I wanted that to have that effect on someone else. It's very thought provoking. And I think that's a good thing. And I had a friend named Philip Morgan who started doing daily. I think he's been on the show and he started doing daily and he dragged me kicking and screaming. He's like, dude, you're going to love it. You're going to be great at it. I'll help you do it. Get started. Cause I had a million questions like, oh, I've got all these campaigns. I don't want to hit somebody with three emails in one day. I'd have a bunch of stupid objections. And he's like, just do it. And it was the greatest. It was great. In like, what way? It's just easier. I had a million ideas or something flips in your brain where you know you have to write today. So you just notice things. You never run out of ideas. I have something like 2000 ideas in my folder of ideas and it's just crazy. It's like it turns on this detector in your brain. It's almost like I see fireflies everywhere now and I'm just trying to capture them in a bottle before they disappear. And then when I sit down to write, I'll never get through the ideas that I have. There's literally thousands. They're everywhere. And so it's great because it turns on this sort of observational capability that probably everyone has. Certainly everybody that goes through my email course, it happens to them too. And I've interviewed people about it. It happens to everybody. They start seeing ideas everywhere. Makes it really easy to build a body of work, to attract an audience, to deepen your expertise, to go way down a rabbit hole, crystallize your thinking. And it's remarkable in Seth language. 
when somebody hears you have a daily mailing list, they just can't believe it. It's just great all the way around. I think it's amazing. I've been doing this for, I don't know, since January now. So it's May. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing this for five months and I say to people, I find it so much easier to write every day than every week. And they're like, what? Yeah, I know. It's paradox. Because ex exactly as you described, yeah, it's the paradox of, and yes, the ideas never ends. I think once you make peace with the fact that it's okay to repeat yourself, you just need to find different ways to say the same thing, right? That's the nugget here. It's, yeah, don't try to say anything fucking new all the time. Just say the same thing, but the different example. Say the same thing, but make it a list. Say the same thing, but you know what I mean? You do that very well. Yeah, thanks. The way I look at it is you want to find a way. So after a certain point, I would be like, I don't know if I wrote this already. I'd sit down to write and be like, did I write this already? Because I'd have a draft and it would be a really complete draft and be like, did I publish? I couldn't even remember. So what I started doing was just picking something that happened to me that day and using that as the nugget of the story. Even if I didn't mention the thing that happened, sometimes I wouldn't, but I knew that I didn't write this email before because it happened today. But you talked about the same thing before, the same topic or whatever, right? Right. And now the thing that I hear back from people is I get emails like this all the time where they're like, I know you've said this a million times, but for some reason, the way you wrote about it today made it click. And yeah. that's the fucking key. It's like yeah. people are not busy like you in your business, knowing everything about it. They don't fucking care. They only <laughs> think of themselves. And if they think about you for five seconds every day, you have like a, a thriving business. So like yeah. thinking that you're going to piss them off by saying the same thing is wrong. And that's true, right? So you might be saying something over and over again to the same person, but then their circumstances are changing. Maybe they get hired. Now they are in-house instead of freelancer or whatever. And boom, there you go. Oh yeah, that now that makes sense. So I, yeah. I've seen that too as well. Anyway, this episode is not about how to send daily emails, even though I'd love to have you back for that. It's more like, how do you become, you know, you? How do we work only five hours a week and be happy and feel like, you know, we can clean the garage every day. So <laughs> daily email, how did it grow then? Slowly, linear. It was, I started with, I think I had 500 people when I launched Hourly Billing is Nuts. I got a little bit of a spike during the launch for some reason. And then sometimes I went on the future one time and I got a big spike from that Chris Doe's show on YouTube. And you get spikes from appearances, but if you look at it over time, it's just like a straight line. I'm at like 25,000, 30,000 now. It's just slow build. There's no big when, you know, there's not like a huge spike anywhere. If there's a huge spike, it's usually some spam bot. <laughs> like you found a form, an open form, and then you got to clean them out. But I know you just said this is a show about daily email, but that is it. That is the heart of the business. The of it. It's the one thing I wouldn't stop doing. It's the last thing I'll automate. It's, I mean, I would be terrified to stop doing it. That would throw everything into risk in my mind. So you talked about clarity of thoughts. You talked about the fact that it's easier than writing weekly or monthly or whatever. But in terms of benefit of the business for you, when you started out like at 500, what kept you going? Because it still work, right? And you're probably not as experienced then as you are now. Yeah, well, it's a combination of excitement and the mission. I'm like, not, it's not bullshit. I want my headstone to say this guy actually helped destroy hourly billing. So... Yeah, it's that. I had been doing it informally up to that point. A few people had kind of like, could you coach me on this? Or could you teach me this or that? And I found that it was much harder to teach it to someone who wasn't me. There were certain things about it that were a really good fit for my personality. Value pricing in particular was a good fit for my personality. Not everybody has the same personality. So it can be harder for other people to learn. And it could be, there's a whole it's like one thing to understand something, be able to do it. It's another thing to be able to explain it to someone in a way that produces action. 
So you have to come up with a lot of different ways to explain it to different types of people. And I found that very exciting. I think it was like a, a real, you know, I'm the oldest of five. So I just naturally tell people what to do. Or like I naturally think my opinion is important. So I don't know. It was just a combination of the mission and just being excited about it. Plus my original early focus was specifically on pricing, which is the most fun problem in the universe. Pricing is the best Rubik's cube for your brain of all time. I've never found a puzzle that's more interesting than pricing. So I just love puzzles. Dismantling that and trying to figure out what makes it work and pricing psychology and all the Kahneman stuff. And there's just so many great thinkers have talked about pricing in not so much macroeconomics. I think a lot of that is not useful in a business context, but microeconomics and behavioral economics, I've just super just loved it. It was just one of those things I would just read about constantly. So did your new clients come through the daily email list then? I don't track anything, so I don't know really. I mean, I track two things, revenue and or really profits, but re so I have practically no expenses. So I track revenue numbers and I track subscribers. Those are the only two things I track. I don't have any tracking code on my website. I don't know where people come from. Anecdotally, for a while, I would say anecdotally, it was people from my list or a podcast, but usually they're on both. But lately, when I get clients now, there's a question like, do you know, PS, do you remember where you heard of me? And nobody can answer the question. They're like, I don't know, you're everywhere. Like, I just, I've just always known about it. So it's been long enough where people don't even know where they first heard of me. It does shock me when someone buys something from me and they're not on my list. So I guess I would say that most people who buy something from me are on my list because I don't advertise and social media doesn't do anything in terms of sales. So it has to be the list. Otherwise, where would they hear of it? It's either the list or the podcast and the podcasts are really tough to make conversions from. So I'm sure it's the list. You've been flexing on so many things just casually. I love it. I barely have any expenses working five well, hours. I, mean. I don't fucking track anything. But it's, I think because you have such a, to talk you know, a bit of marketing lingo, you have such a heavy top of the funnel where you have the flywheel going now, everyone knows about you, right. you're in the podcast, whatever, that you don't need to worry about the rest. And I've never seen, I say that all the time, but I've never seen a thriving business that didn't have that. It's like, once you have this new pool of people discovering about you naturally, then you don't need to track shit under, like it's just. You know, I worked for Hotjar for a while. It was a startup mm. software. It was the exact same feeling. It's like there were so many people coming through. Our website was shit. The logo was 99 cents that we bought on the thing. The software was also shit compared to what it is now. And yet it was growing and growing and growing. So once you know you have that, you know you are in demand, right? There is, there is demand for that stuff. Yeah, it's so easy to say that there's no moment where you're like, oh, now I can stop tracking things. Like I never tracked anything. So it was always my extent of my marketing capabilities when I was doing consulting, I was just copying my ex-boss who wrote books and spoke at conferences. So I was like, and the phone would just ring like magic. It was like he planted this garden and tomatoes would just grow. And so I was like, that's what I want to do. So I'll just copy Chris and I'll write books and speak at conferences. And it totally worked. That was the extent of my marketing. I had a blog, but it was stupid and no one read it. I didn't have a mailing list which was insane. And I just got leads. So I was extremely naive about, I didn't even, I wouldn't have, if you asked me, do you do any marketing? I would have said no, but that wasn't actually true. So when I started the list and I started doing coaching, 
I was copying Seth. I'm like, I know if I write daily, I'll make money. That's not why I wrote daily, but I knew if I just stuck with that, that books would come out of it and that attention would come out of it and that people would be helped. You show up every day and help them. And after a while, they're like, this is great. I'm going to give this guy 99 bucks or I'm going to give this guy 250 bucks to take the course or the thing or the, and I just knew it would happen. It was like no doubt in my mind. And I had income still coming in from the old business. If I didn't, I would have been really panicked. I don't know what I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like it, it takes a while to ramp up that kind of a business, like a product. It's basically a product business now. So that takes a while. And probably that's the key insight right here, which is maybe don't quit your job right now after listening to Mr. Stark, right? Keep it and then start, if you have time, if you can, start doing that on the side of it, like just a daily writing practice. It's funny, this writing is really much at the center of everything. I'm realizing it more and more now because those daily emails then can be created, can be turned into, like the most popular can be turned into like a YouTube script, it could be turned into LinkedIn posts. The replies can then be reused and it's really like it clarifies your brain so much. Sometimes what I tend to do, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't remember what I would say in this particular scenario and I search back at what I wrote. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. That's the shit. Yeah, that's what you should do. Like I'm yeah. something, someone else. Yeah, I've got two, I have two different people who one I approached, another one approached me that was like, could I train an AI on your back catalog? And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Because I do the same thing. I like Google myself. I'm like, I know I wrote something about this. Where was that? Was that in the pricing seminar or was it my mailing list? I just want to write the exact same thing over again. So yeah, just pull it up and like, oh, there it is. There's the answer. So it does get weird after you've got several years. You can see why Seth has switched into climate and education. He did education for a while because it's like, what's he going to talk about marketing wise? He hasn't already said. Yeah, that's actually very true. I've actually trained my own AI as well on the using, there's a tool called Ask My Ask AI. I don't know if it'll be around when you listen to this, but it's very easy to do when you're not technical like I am. It's pretty cool. So going back to the advice we'd give uh, folks right now. So as of right now in today's context, what is the advice? Obviously, maybe speaking and books is what they should be doing. But from the context of today, what's the advice? It depends on the business model. So if you're going to have a consulting business model, speaking at conferences and writing books is tried and true, it will work. If your stuff is good, it will work. I love your suggestion. You should kind of just casually mention if you're at a day job and you want to start to build an audience while you're there, start a mailing list, not a blog. Start a mailing list. Or a podcast. Do not. I would do both. I would start a podcast and a mailing list. But if you're only going to do one, it wouldn't be a podcast. Yeah, the mailing list is magic because it's broadcast out and it's private in. So when you send it, you can send it to 10,000 people and every single one of them by default, the way email works is the reply is private. It's not like comments on YouTube where people can like virtue signal or posture or they're trying to kick up controversy or something. It's private. So they share stuff that they would never share publicly. And it's so helpful to understand what you should write about next or what people are struggling with or that you're not doing a great job explaining something with the words that you're using. You need to use different words. It's like free school. It's like free money almost. So mailing list, absolutely do that. Everybody that starts one is like, I should have done this sooner. Every time I wish I had, everybody says it. But the podcast, the one-two punch of a mailing list plus a podcast 
is powerful. To me, it's the more modern version of writing books and speaking at conferences because it's obviously it's remote, it's asynchronous, but having a podcast, especially if you have guests on, is great for networking, it's great for your professional connections, it's great for just getting better at speaking. I even tell people to, at least for the first 20, 30 episodes, edit your own podcast because it'll make you a better speaker. You'll stop saying, um, and so, and, uh, you know, making stupid sounds. And <laughs> because if you have to edit them all out, then it gets annoying. It's easier to just not say, um, or whatever. It makes you a better speaker. It also builds a lot of trust with people who listen regularly because to them, it's almost like this celebrity status. Like when I first came on, you're like, oh, if you said something like that. And I'm just like, yeah, because you listen to probably a lot of my podcasts. It like creates this fake celebrity that has an effect on people that they just trust you. They feel like they know you, even though you don't know them at all, because podcasting is completely anonymous. For the record, you also said you felt like you were talking to a celebrity, talking to me. Let's be clear here. Both of us. Right. Yes. Both of us complimented each other. Right. It works. It totally works. Yeah. It's weird, right? It's asymmetrical intimacy, I call it. Yes. I was about to try to search that word, and that's where I, I remember reading an email about that from you, which is yeah, the reason why people would be stalking celebrities, like real celebrities and all of that is yeah. that they feel a connection, but the other one doesn't, right? Okay. So I think we can turn that advice almost into like a first principle because email is here to stay. Podcast is here to stay because both of them are technologies that are not owned by anyone. Exactly. Right. Any other ones that technology that are not owned by anyone that we can put on an on or is that it? So I actually got this very same question recently, and this is going to sound wrong, but I would say as long as you have people's contact information, a platform like Slack or Discord that's not algorithm driven, I think that you can own that community because I have a bunch of Slack communities, but if they, since it's not algorithm driven and they're not forcing you what to look at or anything like that, if Salesforce I don't know, got rid of the free plan or something and I had to pay $80,000 a year for my group coaching, I wouldn't do that. I would just switch to Discord or Circle or some other platform that's like, doesn't matter, it's just plumbing. And as long as you've got the contact information for the people, like if Slack shut down tomorrow, I've got everyone's email. So I could just be like, hey, everybody, meet me over here in Discord or meet me over here in, in Discourse or wherever, Circle, and it doesn't matter. So. I think one of those, kind of like a web forum, anything like that. So it's not about whether or not the technology is, no one owns it. It's really like, is it direct, is the algorithm directing who and what you're going to see or not, right? It's definitely that, but it's also, if you have like a Facebook group and they just rip it out from under you or you get kicked off or deplatformed or whatever, not that really probably happens to normal people, but the social media to me is like almost useless for anything like that. So I just stay off of platform. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the business model of the platform matters. Um, pretty interested in Mastodon and the activity pub or whatever it's called, but I don't really care about that too much. I think email, absolutely amazing. Podcasting, absolutely amazing. And if you have some kind of plumbing style online forum, then that I'd say that's still, you still own that audience. You can move that audience somewhere else very easily. That's what it is. Is the audience portable? If the audience is portable, it doesn't scare me. Okay, so what's next? So we figure out where to say things. Let's talk about the P word. Let's talk about positioning maybe, no? Is that the next piece? Because you, you know a thing or two about it. Yeah, super important. So if you want to 
start a mail. Let's just stick with mailing list. Wherever you're projecting your ideas, you have to publish your ideas. You have to put them in the world for anything to work. Obviously, I mean, you have to put yourself out there. So if you're still working a day job and on your lunch break, you're going to write your daily email every day or Monday through Friday, whatever. A common question is, what do I write about? So you got to decide. And a lot of times it's tough to just pull that out of thin air. I couldn't do it. I knew there were some things I was interested in. They were all related to my business. And I was just trying to teach people how to build a business like mine when I was consulting. So I knew they were related, but I wasn't sure what the organizing principle was or the sun in my solar system. I wasn't sure what that was. I thought it was value pricing because that was the thing that I was spending most of my time learning about. But I found myself as I was writing this daily list, apologizing that this particular message wasn't about value pricing. I'd be like, you're talking about like a productized service type of thing. And I'd be like, oh, this is a really cool thing. If you're getting started, it's like, it's not value pricing. It's still, at least it's not trading time for money. And it took me a long time. I don't know how long, but months at least before I realized the sun in my content solar system was ditching hourly. I thought it was value pricing. But like I said, I had all of these other topics. There's all these planets in the solar system that don't revolve around value pricing. In fact, they're completely different than value pricing. It's like, huh. And it just took me a while. I was actually on a podcast when it hit me because someone asked me, Joel Pilger, as a matter of fact, he's like, you don't want to be just one of many. You want to be the one and only. And he said, he shared this great hack. He was like, Next time somebody asks you, or just as a thought experiment, ask yourself, if somebody said, what do you do? Would you say I'm a marketer or would you say I'm the insert thing here? And he put me on the spot and he was like, what would you say you're the one of? And I was like, I guess I'm the ditching hourly guy. And he was like, yes, that's great. And we Googled it. And I was just like the first three pages of results on Google for the ditching hourly guy, even though I had never said that ever. And then I was like, that's the central theme which seems obvious in retrospect, but it wasn't at the time. So your advice, I love your advice on picking the planets and the sun. So you talk about having diverse planets is fine, right? So I would talk, Mm -hmm. just talk my example briefly. I would talk about maybe confidence. I would give stories to inspire in terms of creativity. I would talk on positioning, differentiation, whatever, but it revolves around standing the fuck out. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm the stand the fuck out guy. <laughs> yes, you are. And everyone has marketers. Yeah, if you weren't going to say that, if it wasn't obvious to you, it was obvious to me. It's good that you knew. But yeah, so the moral of the story is write every day about stuff you care about and the sun will reveal itself eventually. But you have to write first. And that's the key as well. There's many keys in here in that episode so far. But the key is really to not strive for having all your ducks in a row and everything perfect and a perfect planner in fucking Excel and all your system ready to go. No, I used to do this a lot. I used to use planning for shit as a way to deal with my anxiety instead of getting shit done to get the results. So now I've learned that I just fucking execute on stuff. Even if it's not ready, I don't care. I really don't. So yes, start writing and you'll see what your brain likes to talk about. I love to give examples of brands and artists or whatever have, that have nothing to do with tech and B2B because I'm fucking sick of hearing about them. And that gives me a lot of energy. I love talking about Lady Gaga, going to talk about Ed Sheeran and talking about Houdini. That, that's the kind of shit I like. The other really good advice I learned from you was the clues to help you identify those planets. And I like what you said because we're very similar in that. So you talk about having a contrarian stance. What pisses you off? What drives you crazy? Yeah. yeah. It's such a great energy to channel in the right way, right? It's what pisses you off is something you want to fight against and therefore the opposite is what you can strive to be. 
That helps me so much. Like I use that so much. Well, look at the name of the show. You know what I mean? It's like you've been doing it. It's like the no BS. How many shows like this are there? None? It's just this one? I don't know. I don't know of any other ones. You own this space. There's a few that I've seen when I was searching for it on Apple Podcast the other day. There's a one that is copying the structure. I think it's everyone hates brands or something like that. <laughs> but they clearly, it's one of those things where it's easy enough to copy, but fuck, it's difficult to execute because you need to have the everything around that works with it. I'm not playing a game here. I'm not playing a role with you. I'm genuinely being myself. I just like to ask questions that I want to ask. I'm not trying to pretend anything. So start writing to figure out those stuff. So you have six, you say like contrarian stance, unique worldview, tips and tricks, infuriating competitors, buyer traps, surprising philosophy you had written. So yeah, start fucking writing. Okay. And then positioning. So let's talk briefly about positioning, maybe statements. Now that you've written for a bunch of times, what do we do next? The planets will come into, you'll start to see these ideas everywhere. You'll start to see them fall into patterns. If you write for 30 days, like one month, you're going to have 30 articles. You can categorize them. You can play around with them. Like which ones got a lot of reaction? Which one should you do more of? Your positioning can be reflected back to you. It's very difficult to position yourself. You almost need to bounce the ideas off of other people to help you figure out what it is because it's even for me, I feel like I'm pretty good at positioning for other people because I can see the forest for the trees. But when it's for yourself, it's really hard. I hear that all the time. But I know who to ask. Yeah, it's brutal. Who do you ask? Philip Morgan? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a group of friends who get it and have been around me long enough that they get me too so that they can help with stuff like that. But let's say, what would I do next? Depends on a lot of things. But let's say your list, you get up to 100, 500 people, something like that. Maybe a lead magnet next. Maybe you take some of your best stuff and turn it into an email course. Then that will accelerate your signups a little bit. It'd be something you could talk about on other people's shows. You could come up with a productized service or an info product based on the feedback that you've gotten from the list. Something simple, just like a checklist or a PDF, or maybe if you're a developer or you make a little tool or something, a browser plugin. It could be anything. It would be nice, especially if you're still at a day job and you're building this audience. It'd be nice to sell something to start allowing people to flex their pay me money muscles and start thinking about copywriting for a sales page. Like these are marketers listening, so they should be able to do this. But a lot of people still, it's not easy. It takes practice. So come up with something you can sell for $9 or $49, $29, $19, whatever. You know, a two digit purchase that if you can create the value and if you can capture some of the value, I'd probably do that next. Because as soon as you sell that first one, you will be hooked. You'll be like, this is the best thing ever. It's mad. Yeah. When I work with people, if you're still at a day job, I like the ground up approach where you start with the mailing list, maybe then a lead magnet because it takes you don't start with a lead magnet. You'll get it inside your head too much. Maybe a lead magnet, then maybe a small product, then a bigger product, maybe a workshop, then you build up from the bottom. If you've been working for yourself for a long time and you're already doing like low six figures and you don't want to jeopardize that, then I start top down and I'd build a product ladder from the top down where you start with, you've been doing project work, now build a productized service right under that that's like four figures, some kind of a road mapping thing, something like that, depending on what you do. Or at the very least, put a paid phone call or strategy session or some kind of lightning round workshop thing where it's just a paid phone call you can spin that up in a half an hour and have it on your website for sale and try and start selling that. 
So it depends on where you're at, but you can either build the product ladder down from the top or up from the bottom. That's a really good advice. So if you're starting out with an audience in a small audience, working on a day job or like just building that, so start the staircase approach or whatever. What's his name? The guy who runs the startup for the rest of us. Rob Boiling? Rob Boiling. Oh, Rob. Yeah. yeah, talk about the staircase approach, which is exactly this. But you also have the other side, which is, as you said, if you make six figures or so, selling most of it, most of your time, really. And you don't want to jeopardize that business, then starts from the other side by productivizing. Just so that everyone understands in layman terms, when we say productivize service, what does it mean? It's a combination of a product and a service. So it's a service sold like a product, packaged like a product. When you go to CVS or the pharmacy and there's got a migraine, buy Motrin. It's got this label on the front. It's got a price tag on the front of it. All the ingredients and stuff are on the back, but that's the fine print. Nobody cares about that. All they care about is, do I have the problem that this thing solves? Find something. If you've been doing a lot of project work and you are starting out from that end of the spectrum, there's probably some thing that you usually do at the beginning of each project, maybe at the end, but usually at the beginning of each project, that's something like a design session or a strategy session or an architecture session, like an something like that an audit, right? Some kind of diagnostic with recommendations. And you can package that up and sell that. There's a lot of benefits to doing that, but that would be like an example of a productized service, like a roadmap. So what is the definition of a productized service? It's a fixed scope service that you sell at a published price on your website. And the sales page is like that label on the bottle of aspirin or Motrin or whatever. These are the benefits. This is the price. Here's what to expect. And it's not all about you. It's not all about your process. It's not all about that. It's like, here are the benefits. Here's the pain that you're experiencing. Here's the dream that you want to have. Here is a fix for it. And this is the price. So once you start selling a few of those, it's not going to change your overall revenue dramatically, but it does separate your time from your money, allows you to optimize and increase your profits by doing less and delivering as much or better value over time. And a lot of times it'll lead into project work anyway. And you can charge higher prices because they already trust you. You're the one that did the roadmap. Can you just give us a proposal? Well, I'm going to be the most expensive. No, please give us the proposal anyway. Okay. And I interviewed Alex Hillman on my Ditching Hourly show. And he exclusively did, I don't know if he still does it, but he exclusively did this as an approach. He just roadmap, roadmap, roadmap. And then if you wanted the execution business that would potentially come after that, he would get it 100% of the time. So if you are doing project work, a roadmap type of first step phase is a really good next thing to build. So before I ask you the usual question at the end, I just want to share something. I took your course about daily, building a daily email. And the biggest nugget that I got from you is not from the course itself, but from the Slack message you sent me after. If you're looking into maybe practicing your writing a bit more often than once every month or two, whatever. The best advice I got from you in that context was, and I was very worried about my weekly-ish email list starting all of a sudden to have daily stuff. And you said, I have seen two things that work poorly. One, forcing your existing weekly readers to opt in to stay on the list as you transition to daily, because I was about to do that. So thank you. And then keeping the waiting list and starting a separate daily list. So don't do any of that. Instead, just fucking start writing daily. And that's what I did. Yes, I got a bunch of unsubscribe at the start, like way higher than usual. That's normal. And I panicked. But then after two or three weeks, it started to really go down quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. But that was one of the things Philip Morgan dragged me kicking and screaming into. I was like, what about the same thing? It's like, don't just do it. Just do it. Stop thinking about it. 
What are the top three resources you recommend listeners today? Could be anything. Yeah, I mean, obviously anything Seth, but if you are already pretty familiar with his work, I think they're still doing the marketing seminar. He's got a couple of really things in there that opened my eyes. The two things in particular, one was his lesson on tension and the other one was a lesson on positioning yourself. And he talks about positioning in a very different way. It was more like finding an axis that none of the competition is competing on and making that your axis. Very interesting, worth the price of the whole thing just for that video. And I've never seen him talk about it anywhere else. So the marketing seminar is one. There's a book called How to Measure Anything by Douglas Hubbard, which is mind altering. I was never the same after I read that book. It's super critical to understand the concepts in that book if you're gonna try value pricing, which we haven't really talked about today. But if you are going to do that, then that's super important. But in general, in business, you need to measure intangibles all the time. And my audience is very engineering mindset, so they feel like if they can't measure something exactly, why bother? But you have to get over that because you're never measuring anything exactly. You're always measuring it enough for the decision that you're about to make. So you just need to measure it enough. And there's no, like, you don't know how tall you are. No one does exactly, but it's six ones close enough. That's like close enough for any reason you would ask. That book is great. And then the ultimate sales letter by Dan Kennedy is like a legendary sort of direct marketing copywriter. And I think everybody listening to this should be writing every day, or at least a lot more than they probably are. Getting better at writing will never go out of style, AI notwithstanding. So that book, specifically for copywriting, that book, it's almost like uranium. There's like danger in there. There's like some black hat stuff that you might want to stay away from, but that guy knows copywriting. So if you want to get better at copywriting, sales pages, direct mail, offers, it is, it might seem a little dated, but it's solid gold. It is. Cover to cover. Great. That's yeah, really good stuff. And obviously, if you want to learn more about why you should ditch early billing and all of that, please just Google Mr. Stark. Now you'll get the other one. So Google Jonathan Stark and you'll find him. Obviously, I didn't want to talk about it too much today because I feel like they can read about it pretty fast from you. And the information that you shared today, I don't think you've really shared that much around. So I'm happy about the choice. So yeah, where can people connect with you and learn more from you? Do they just have to Google you? If you did want to find out what I was talking about with value pricing, you can go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and there's a free email course that'll take you through it pretty quickly. But yeah, it feels like a cop out to say, just Google me. If you go to jonathanstark.com, right at the top, there's like first time here and there's like a bunch of popular links so you can choose your own adventure. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. It was great. My pleasure. Anytime. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, 
quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.